0: It is very difficult for us to figure out what one rash might be compared to another when we go into an examination room. That's at least what I hear from many people because clearly there are so many different presentations. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian McDonough and welcome to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm your host and with me today is Dr. John Ely. Dr. Ely is a professor of family medicine at the University of Iowa, and he is a person who has taken an interest in and clearly has helped many family physicians with his articles on generalized rashes. And first of all, Dr. Ely, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you very much.
0: You know, when I read your article and I've kind of reviewed what you've had, you've really been able to summarize something that's very difficult just to put into one group, Uh, the generalized rash, because those of us in family medicine, we see so many different presentations. And I know in education, my residents will pull me in and they'll say, what do you think this is? And I think perhaps more than anything else I do, I have a trepidation because I'm going in wondering, oh boy, what are we seeing now? And many times you you know right away, but it's one of those things, if you don't know, then all of a sudden you find yourself going back, looking at images, talking with colleagues, it can be a discussion point uh, for the entire group. Is that normal?
1: Yes, that's very common. In fact, we did a study one time to try to find out what the most common questions were among family physicians, and the most common question out of a 1,000 or so that we collected was, what is this rash? Probably the second most common is, how do I tell the difference between a viral upper respiratory infection and bacterial sinusitis? And so these issues are very common in primary care and very difficult and when we had the idea for this article most people thought it was too much for one article in fact the reviewers said it was too much my co-author thought it was too much but when you look at what the primary care physician family physician is faced with that's what we're faced with we can't really narrow it down and say well i i only want to deal with rashes that are caused by viruses or i only want to deal with rashes that occur between age 20 and age 30 or I only want to deal with rashes that occur on the legs. So the reality is that we're faced with this problem that's too big. Since that's the reality of the situation, I really thought that we needed to face it head on and and fortunately my co-author Dr. Stone who is a dermatologist was willing to play along and uh, so were the editors at American Family Physicians. So I'm very grateful that we eventually were able to get this published.
0: When you group these things, one of the things I thought that was great, and my residents were asking, especially the third years were worried about the boards, you know, they were asking, like, are there key words, key terms that they might ask about in an examination? And, you know, from my memory of, you know, taking all these certification exams uh, every six to ten years now, um, there are certain key words that I saw you had those things in there, kind of like those descriptive clues, which I thought were important as well. What are some of those clues, not just for examinations, but when we talk about different rashes, what are some of the ones that jump out at you?
1: I think the biggest one probably is the distribution. So does it involve the palms and soles? Does it involve only sun-exposed areas? There are rashes that have very characteristic distributions like seborrheic dermatitis, you know, very characteristically involves the nasolabial folds in the middle of the chest and behind the ears and the eyebrows. Other rashes uh, typically will avoid certain areas such as palms and soles. So, distribution, I think, is one of the more important aspects. Also, size of lesions, like if they're pinpoint lesions, you might think of prickly heat or folliculitis or keratosis pilaris, whereas if whole body is red, you would think about maybe psoriasis or toxic shock syndrome. Again, the size of lesions is important, the distribution, the shape. For example, if you have a rash that exactly follows where somebody's footwear would be or a sock, you start thinking about contact dermatitis or a belt buckle or a ring. So shape is important. One thing that I often forget to ask about is recent travel or hobbies. And another surprising to me characteristic was whether the rash is itchy or not. I thought that was kind of a throwaway question that you just used to stall while you're thinking madly about what this could be. But it turns out that pruritus or itching is uh, helpful. For example, seborrheic dermatitis is usually not itchy and eczema essentially always is, although there are exceptions. To both, but still, it's a it's another thing that helps distinguish different
0: rashes. One of the things I liked you, that you grouped in, because I, I you know I always walk into a room and I think. What could be the worst possible thing I'm missing? Is there something that potentially could be very serious with this rash that's indicative of some underlying process? You talked about dangerous rashes. I mean, things like Rocky Mountain spotted fever or things that we're obviously not going to see uh, day after day in the office, but, boy, they, they could be uh, terrifying and, and, if not addressed quickly, it could be major issues. What are some of those, uh, I guess, red flag sort of rashes that we should be concerned about?
1: Anytime you have a rash in an adult that's accompanied by a fever, fever, they probably really shouldn't leave the office until you have a, a reasonable diagnosis. TKI and purpura certainly are potentially very dangerous, so those are the, the two main things I think. And then, of course, in some states, in some areas, you'll be more suspicious than others. I. Remember, I saw a woman several years ago who came in with a fever and rash, and she was probably 50 years old. And I said, "Oh, this is probably a viral exanthem." Well, viral exanthems in adults are pretty uncommon, unlike children. Uh, we send kids home all the time with fever and rash if they don't look toxic, but uh, that's probably not a good idea in adults. And this woman eventually was found to have Lyme disease. She had traveled to Wisconsin, and I didn't get that history. So even though you might think that a travel history is usually unproductive, with somebody that has a rash and a fever, it's probably one of the key things to ask about. So those are the two key things, I think, petechiae and Fever, that patient probably should not leave your office without a diagnosis.
0: If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough, and today I'm speaking with Dr. John Ely. He is a professor of family medicine at the University of Iowa. Carver College of Medicine. He's been kind enough to join us on the program and we're talking about rashes and different presentations of them. I've certainly asked a lot of specific questions. What about certain types of rashes where there's a classic distribution, uh, let's say like pityriasis or something like that?
1: The distribution of rashes, pityriasis rosea, uh, you know that you typically might see a uh, herald patch, although that's certainly not a very sensitive finding you can certainly have pityriasis rosea without a herald patch. Typically, occurs on the back, chest, neck. Other distributions. I think the palms and soles uh, issue is important. For example, uh, there are some rashes that are almost that almost never occur on the palms and soles, like folliculitis and insect bites, keratosis polaris, and and pityriasis rosea, for that matter. And some, we always think about secondary syphilis involving the palms and soles, but others can also, such as scabies, Stevens-Johnson syndrome, toxic shock syndrome, you know, typically with the peeling skin after after the acute episode is over. And then there are a lot of rashes that may or may not, uh, such as urticaria, psoriasis, uh like in planus. But the uh, patient has a rash that involves the palms and soles. Nothing's 100%, but you can pretty much rule out the rashes in table four in the second part of the article, where palm and sole involvement is listed as absent or rare.
0: And that's good, too. I think one of the things we have now, um, for instance, the AAFP journal, American Family Physician, and also other places, you can, during the course of the day, look for things quickly. I know I find that when it comes to dermatology, I'll often refer and and look at images. Uh, I was using Google Google images, but a resident will say, "No, no, no, here's another one, here's another one." They all have sources and it is helpful to compare against the patient you have. And I think that's that's another tool that we have now perhaps in the old days you you rushed back, you know, and you opened your book which had maybe one or two pictures you you actually began to memorize because you saw them so many times. <laughs>
1: Right, although if the whole idea of matching a picture to a patient is really difficult, I think, because there are so many variations in how rashes appear. One of the problems with the generalized rash is that one disease can show up in multiple different ways, and on the other hand, one rash can be due to multiple different diseases, one appearance can be due to multiple different appearances. So rashes are hard, rashes are difficult from that standpoint. There are good resources, though. Uh, particularly, one called Visual DX, which has many different examples—not just one example. So, if you look for uh, psoriasis, for example, you might find thirty different variations in Visual DX. Whereas, if you look in a typical textbook or other resources you might find one or two.
0: I liked what you did too. You referred to a grouping you had of the palms and soles and that is actually what you have done in in your two-part article. You actually talked about things for instance like the generalized rash and you had conditions associated with pruritus where you broke it down and you you looked in other areas and, and, and I think that also it's just finding ways to group for instance conditions suggested by patient history and and that leads to my next question which is History is so important uh, when you're talking about anything in family medicine. I find that, you know, you start to, I, you delve into the history. Uh, that might be when you're training, uh, residents may come back and they'll be trying to figure out the rash, you know, and I, at least I find I come in, I start asking a million questions, nothing to do as much with the rash as trying to figure out where it might have been uh, acquired or the timing, because those things play such an important role.
1: Right. I, I think we tend to uh, immediately concentrate on the appearance of the rash, hoping that that will be the key clue to diagnosis, and often it's not the key because, like I said, there are many rashes that have the are many etiologies that have the same appearance. So then you're stuck, and and to get out of that quagmire, you have to turn to other things, particularly the history. So it's not. A waste of time. And I think sometimes we go into the room and we see a rash and we think, oh my God, what is this? We feel inadequate because we think, oh, if I was only a dermatologist, I would know immediately what this was. Well, it's not true. I mean, dermatologists walk in the office and they don't always know right away either and have to ask questions about travel and hobbies and exposures and fever and other systemic symptoms so it's not unusual and it's nothing to be ashamed about if you don't immediately recognize a rash. On the other hand, the appearance will help you narrow down the history so some things really are immediately obvious and we shouldn't dilly-dally around and if we do dilly-dally we might make a mistake so if it's a classic appearance of something It doesn't hurt to think about other possibilities, but I think it's legitimate to go ahead with treatment of a classic appearing rash. But if it's not classic, then you really need to take a little time and get the history and think about uh, the differential and actually look at the differential. I'm interested in diagnostic checklists. And one thing I do is go through a list of the causes of a generalized rash and Just seeing the different causes will help prompt me to ask the right questions. If I can just see the list, I try to do that to try to be complete and
0: thorough. Well, Dr. John Ely, we're running out of time. I want to thank you so much for joining and sharing your thoughts on primary care today. Thanks. It's it's actually good to hear um, how you analyze things and approach it, and it's been very helpful to all of us.
1: Well, good. Thank you very much.
0: We've been talking with Dr. John Ely. He is the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine member of professor of the Department of Family Medicine. I'm Dr. Brian McDonough. Thank you.